0: The strange but true story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find unsettling. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Well, hello there. Welcome back to Things Are About To Get Weird. Thank you so much for joining me. As you know, when I'm putting the podcast together, I like to make sure we have a pretty even spread of topics. A good balance of true crime, unsolved mysteries, paranormal stories, essentially all things strange. But I felt like it had been a little while since we went down the UFO rabbit hole. And the stars aligned on this front when I received a message on our Facebook page from one of our Listeners, Joe. Joe asked whether I'd heard about the Todmorden UFO mystery and the adjoining case of the mysterious death of coal miner Zygmunt Adamski, which all took place in West Yorkshire back in 1980. I actually hadn't, but from Joe's message alone, I was very intrigued. After just a few minutes of reading, I knew I'd found the subject of our next episode. These stories are just plain bizarre. If you're ready for things to get all supernatural, Let's get started. As I alluded to in the intro, this case is really made up of two stories, which merge together under the strangest of circumstances. So I'm going to begin with the event that took place first, the tragic and unexplained death of Zygmunt Adamski. Zygmunt, who was affectionately known as Ziggy, was 56 years old and worked at Lofthouse Colliery. He was originally from Poland, but had moved to the north of England to work in the coal mine. On the 6th of June, 1980, he left his home in the village of Tingley, West Yorkshire, telling his wife Lottie that he was going shopping. But sadly, this was the last time Zygmunt would be seen alive. After he failed to come home that day, Lottie began to worry and became convinced he must have been kidnapped. I can understand why, if there were no signs that someone was planning to leave their home permanently and simply went for a walk to the local shops. I think I'd also naturally suspect that foul play was involved somehow. Several whole days went by. Some sources say it was three days, whilst others say it was five. Which must have been absolutely agonising for his family family and friends. It's the kind of situation you don't want to ever imagine being in, it's terrible. And tragically, their worry was about to turn to both grief and bewilderment. A man named Trevor Parker had arrived at a coal yard owned by his father in the town of Todmorden, over 20 miles away from the village where Zygmunder lived. Upon entering the yard, Trevor noticed something odd about one of the piles of coal, which was stacked around 10 feet or just over 3 meters high. He walked closer to it and made a shocking discovery. Laying on top of the coal pile was the lifeless body of a man. Trevor, of course, alerted the police and it was soon determined that the John Doe was, in fact, Zygmunt Adamski. Now, naturally, a full investigation into what had caused Zygmunt's death was launched and a police constable named Alan Godfrey was assigned to work on the case. P.C. Godfrey becomes a key figure in the remainder of this story, so do keep his name in mind. But from the very beginning of the investigation, police found that there were so many strange details about the case that they continued to come up with more questions than answers. Firstly, and most obviously, was the bizarre way in which Zygmunt's body had been found. PC Godfrey has spoken out about many details of this case over the years, and has revealed information about numerous unexplained aspects of it, including the fact that the coal pile Zygmunt was discovered at the top of showed no signs of disturbance, and there were also no footprints found around it. It seemed impossible that he had climbed up there himself, but the idea that he had been placed there by someone else was also severely lacking in physical evidence, this alone is confusing enough before we even get to the strange details about Zygmunt's body itself. When he was found, Zygmunt was wearing a full suit, only with his shirt missing. I found this really odd. If he had been missing his blazer, that would have made more sense. But the fact that there was this middle item of clothing that had been removed seemed very unusual. The rest of his clothing was described as being improperly fastened, and his wallet and watch were also missing. Then we have his physical appearance. Although Zygmunt had been missing for a number of days, when his body was identified and examined, it was found that he only had around one day's worth of facial hair growth. Speaking of this, the hair on his head also raised alarm bells. It looked totally different than it had the last time he was seen alive, having been clipped short in a, quote, roughly cut manner. I do have some injury details to tell you about next. There's nothing too gruesome, but they're definitely weird. On the back of his neck, as well as his shoulders and head, were mysterious burn marks that no one could determine the source of. These burns look to have been coated in some kind of ointment, but forensic scientists who were brought in to try and work out what this substance was could not identify it. What I found particularly chilling was how PC Godfrey described Zygmunt's facial expression. In an interview with ITV years after the incident, he said, He had this terrifying expression. It can only be described as whatever he last saw had terrified him. When I read that quote, there was something about it that made my blood run cold. Almost as though Zygmunt's expression was a clue as to what had killed him, but there were just no answers. It must have been really unsettling for the police officers to witness his body in that state. Now, here's the thing about this case. Whilst I wish I could tell you that the investigation concluded by offering some solid, logical explanations as to what happened to Zygmunt, things unfortunately didn't work out that way. His movements between the day he left his house in Tingley and was discovered in Todmorden have never been established. There seems to be no official timeline of events, it was just kind of accepted that he turned up at the coal yard and that his life then ended. There were extensive inquiries made at hospitals in the surrounding area to see whether he had attended any of them, but he had not been admitted anywhere during that gap of time. Soon afterwards, there was an inquest into his death, and the result of that was that Zygmunt had died from a heart attack. I can only imagine that there were more than a few raised eyebrows when that conclusion was released, because in a way it doesn't really tell us anything. He may well have had a heart attack, but why? A heart attack doesn't explain the terrible burn marks on his body or the ointment. Or why he was found at the top of a pile of coal 20 miles away from home without a number of his important possessions. And the coroner seems to have agreed. James Turnbull described this incident as one of the most puzzling cases that I've come across in 25 years, and ended up returning an open verdict as there were just too many question marks remaining. So what usually happens in situations like this where there are maddeningly few answers given and no sense of closure? Well, inevitably, different theories start to emerge as people try to put the puzzle pieces together. And this case was no exception. Right from the off, there were numerous theories which gained traction, and each one was pretty out there. So let's go through some of them. If you remember back in our episode about spontaneous human combustion, I talked a bit about Ball Lightning. It's a very interesting yet unexplained phenomenon that's been a source of fascination for centuries, with the first known writings about it dating back to the 1100s. Essentially, the Ball Lightning phenomenon is thought to involve these spheres of light that are most often cited during thunderstorms, but have also been pinpointed as potential explanations for some cases of human combustion. And here again, we find ourselves with ball lightning popping up as a theory in this case. Some thought that perhaps Zygmunt had been struck down by one of these orbs, become dazed and unaware of his surroundings or actions, and ended up in the coal yard where he then sadly passed away. I must admit, when I first read about this theory, I couldn't quite understand how it had become linked to this case. It felt a bit out of left field, but then I thought to myself, I wonder whether there could have been a thunderstorm around the time that Zygmunt's body was found. So I did a little more digging. I ended up going into a deep research hole which involved a number of online forums dedicated to historical weather reports. I had absolutely no idea that this was a hobby people had, but it turns out it's quite a popular pastime. And what I discovered was that June of 1980 was a terrible month weather-wise. People on these forums remember and report everything from thunderstorms to hailstorms all over the country country, and several noted that Yorkshire in particular experienced very heavy rainfall at that time. So it makes a lot more sense that some people turned to a theory that had some connection to the weather in this instance. But there were more. One of the most prominent theories as to why Zygmunt had died surrounded the KGB. Many wondered whether he had indeed been kidnapped and then killed by KGB agents. But I've really struggled to find any reasoning behind this one. It's one of the theories that's often mentioned but never really expanded upon. I'm assuming that it probably had something to do with the fact that Zygmunt was Polish. There's of course a lot of history between the former Soviet Union and Poland but unless the suggestion is that he had this whole other life aside from being a coal miner that could have put him on the KGB's radar I'm not sure about this one then we get to the theory that moves us into the second part of this story, and opens up a whole new world of mystery, quite literally. And that is the belief that Zygmunt had been the subject of a UFO abduction. Now, I know that the topic of aliens and otherworldly beings is a very divisive one, and if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that it's something I'm generally on the fence about. Sometimes I hear a story about a UFO encounter, and I think it's entirely plausible and I totally believe the person telling it and other times I think certain tales sound very far-fetched. So what I'm going to do is tell you about the events that occurred next and at the end I'll let you know where I stand on this. To understand why this theory gained so much traction we have to link back up with the police officer I mentioned earlier. P.C. Alan Godfrey. After the coroner's hearing where an open verdict was returned, P.C. Godfrey spoke to reporters who were keen to ask him about this theory, which had really started to gain momentum due to the strange circumstances of Zygmunt's death. It had even been discussed in the tabloid newspapers, who have never been shy about covering stories like these. At the time, when asked what he made of the UFO explanation, he said... I am open-minded, I can't rule it out. But PC Godfrey had no idea that just under six months later, both he and Tomodon would be in the news again. And that, for the second time that year, the headlines would include the three letters that had already piqued so many people's interest. U.F.O. On the 28th of November, 1980, at around 5am, Alan was on duty in Todmorden and was sent out after a call reporting that there were some cattle that had escaped from their field and were wandering around a housing estate. He arrived at the scene on his own, unaware that he was about to have an experience that would change his life forever. In his own words, this is what he said took place next. "'I was driving up the road when I could see an object in front of me. "'It looked to be completely blocking the road. "'As I got nearer and nearer this object, "'I could see it wasn't quite what I was expecting to meet "'at five o'clock on a November morning in Todmorden. "'It was diamond-shaped. "'The bottom half was spinning. "'It was hovering about five feet off the ground. "'It was about 20 feet wide, 14 feet high. "'Alan reached for his police radio,' but found that it had stopped working completely. So, in an attempt to try and record what he had seen, he grabbed his notepad and tried to sketch the object he had seen floating before him. Then, in an instant, the unidentified object vanished and PC Godfrey suddenly realised he was around 30 yards further down the road than he had been just a second before. One of his boots was split, and he had an odd red mark on his foot that resembled a burn. He checked the time and was baffled to see that it was half an hour later than he expected. It was as though a chunk of time had just evaporated and he had no idea why. Recalling this moment, he said... After it had all happened, I realised that there was half an hour missing from me drawing the object to me turning up on the other side. I wanted to know what happened in that half hour. Bizarrely, Alan's encounter had taken place less than half a mile from where Zygmunt Adamski's body was found months before. The police officer was so sure about what he'd seen, and so desperate to understand what had happened to him in those missing 30 minutes, that he agreed to take part in a filmed, regressive hypnotherapy session, under the guidance of several doctors who wanted to help him remember that window of time. Here's what he described whilst under hypnosis. Alan said that his police car had been engulfed in a bright white light before he temporarily lost consciousness and then woke up in an unfamiliar room. He recalled seeing a very tall man or man-like figure, and said he was surrounded by six small robots. He then remembered being subjected to some kind of medical procedure or examination, but before he knew it, he was back in his car, confused and alone. So, naturally, this session of hypnotherapy had been a private matter and clearly very personal to Alan. But one way or another, the information that came out during the treatment became known to the press. This kick-started a flood of international news coverage about his experiences. People were obviously fascinated by what he had to say but the impact on Alan's personal and professional lives were overall fairly negative. Speaking about this period of time, Alan told the BBC, I wish I'd never seen the UFO, particularly because of the effects on my children. It's not easy having a policeman as a father, but when he's a policeman who saw a UFO, it's even worse. At work in the police force, Alan was met with a degree of ridicule, which quickly became more serious. According to Sky History, there was an incident where Allen was called into his inspector's office and told in no uncertain terms by a man he didn't recognise that he should not talk about what he had witnessed that November morning any further. This man looked to be from another branch of law enforcement, and there has been speculation that he was anything from an MI5 agent to a senior officer from West Yorkshire Police, sent to do some damage control, as they were at that time, already dealing with some very bad press as a result of the Yorkshire Ripper investigation. Allen says that he saw this man a few times after their conversation and got the feeling that he was being followed by him, until he confronted the man and asked to be left alone, which did seem to work. Over the past few years, Allen has spoken out several times about how his experience affected him, both via a self-published book he wrote entitled Who or What Were They?, a number of press interviews and a live talk he was persuaded to do in 2014. During this talk, he revealed more details about his alleged treatment by the police force. And I only have to say alleged for legal reasons, I actually do think he's telling the truth. He said that he felt forced to retire early from the police as a result of refusing to back down about the encounter and discussed both being transferred to a different station, Plus, some attempts he said were made to get him sectioned and admitted to a mental health facility. Then, in a 2018 interview, he spoke about the hypnotherapy session and admitted that there's a good chance that what he was recalling was a dream, and clarified that he wasn't saying for sure that he had been abducted by aliens during those mysterious 30 minutes. However, he is still adamant that he did see a UFO. That he knows for sure. It's just that missing half hour that he's not so confident about. On that point, he said, quote, I must stress that I did see a UFO that night. Make no mistake about that. That object was real. If I'd got out of my car and thrown a brick at it, it would have gone bang. I definitely saw what I saw. He still remains open-minded about Zygmunt Adamski's death although he appears to be leaning more towards some kind of strange event, much more so than, say, murder. Explaining that he thinks Zygmunt died elsewhere and was placed in the coal yard afterwards. He's quoted as saying, He was on top of the coal pile, on his back, with not a bit of coal on him. His eyes were wide open and he had burn marks. Why would he climb up a stack of coal? Those eyes were staring up at me. I was looking down on him from a foot away. Those eyes sent a shudder down my spine. They were wide open. He had a look of someone who had seen something or someone that had scared him to death. But that's not quite the end of this tale, because what became clear after these two incidents is that West Yorkshire is home to far more supernatural activity than anyone realised, with Todmorden being regarded as the sort of epicentre of this. In fact, the town has gained quite the reputation over the last few decades, being described as everything from Britain's UFO hotspot to Britain's answer to Roswell, whether it was because people felt more comfortable speaking out about their encounters after the path that had been paved by people like Alan Godfrey, or whether they went to West Yorkshire specifically to try and spot any unusual activity. Reports of further UFO sightings continued to come in after 1980. Between 2002 and 2017, multiple encounters were reported in the town of Rothwell, where everything from long, thinly shaped, conjoined objects to groups of strange Floating lights have been reported in the sky. Then in homeforth in 2016, there was a sighting of a triangular-shaped green glowing craft sighted in the night sky. Interestingly, when you look this story up, all that's said is that it was reported by a retired police officer who didn't wish to be identified, but who had previous experience with UFO sightings. Of course, I'm not at all suggesting anything here, but I thought it was... noteworthy. In Todmorden itself, around a year after Allen's encounter, a local lady named Vicky Dinsdale was out on a dog walk with her grandfather, who was a former army sergeant, when they saw something extraordinary in the sky. She described it as a long, thin, diamond-shaped object, and said it kept changing colour as it hovered in the air, probably because of the way that Alan Godfrey had been treated after revealing what he experienced. Vicky's grandfather said that they should keep what they'd seen to themselves, and for 40 years, that's exactly what happened. But back in 2021, Vicky decided to speak out about what they'd seen, and of course, this brought Todmorden back into the spotlight once more. Though for those in the UFO community, the town has never really stopped being a site of interest, and it seems that to this day, There's a UFO society that meets regularly in a pub called the Golden Lion, which I think is amazing. If anyone from the society happens to be listening to this, I would love to join you sometime. This entire saga has definitely left me wanting to know more about the supernatural happenings in the area. So, with all of the information laid out and examined, what do I make of these two intertwined stories? I'm going to start with Zygmunt's case because I simply can't get my head around it. Firstly, in my opinion, I don't believe that he disappeared voluntarily of his own accord. If he'd wanted to leave his entire life behind and run away from everything, wouldn't he have been more subtle than waving goodbye to his wife and setting out food shopping on foot? That doesn't make sense to me. I do think he was taken against his will and I was about 80% leaning towards a supernatural explanation until I came across some additional information. According to the Yorkshire Live publication, it's alleged that Zygmunt was embroiled in some kind of family feud at the time he disappeared. An article about the case notes that a family member had been living with himself and his wife, and it implied that there was some real friction going on in the situation. Now, it's important to say that when Alan Godfrey was asked about this in relation to the police investigation he was involved with, he said that they had no reason to suspect any family members of foul play, so this was ruled out. I'm still around 70% set on the idea that there is an otherworldly link with Zygmunt's death, but I can't say that I haven't seriously considered a more human angle. I absolutely think that he was placed on the coal pile. I don't believe he could have climbed up there and left no trace of doing so. And the thing is, if it had been a human who had done this to him, why would they have left his body in such an obvious place? Even if he'd been kidnapped, tortured via burning which would explain the marks on his skin, suffered a heart attack and had his body left by his captors. I don't understand why they would have put him where he was found. I totally understand the appeal of the UFO theory, especially given the additional sightings within Todmorden and West Yorkshire in general, because it's the only thing weird enough to match the circumstances in which he was discovered. Just one quick additional detail, which I'm sure is just a coincidence, but I thought was fascinating. Zygmunt Adamski's case is one of the most well-known amongst UFO enthusiasts. And over the years, many may have thought to themselves hmm, his surname sounds familiar. And that's because they may well be thinking of one of the most famous figures in the community's history. The renowned UFO contactee and writer, George Adamski. It's not the most unusual surname in the world, especially not in Poland. But I still thought this was worth noting as just an extra strange detail. As for my thoughts on Alan Godfrey's encounters, I don't know what it is, but I do believe believe him. I think he's been truthful in his accounts and what makes him feel even more credible to me is the fact that he's openly said he's not convinced that what he remembered under hypnosis was real. He's only steadfast in the things that he fully recalls seeing with his own eyes and I believe that he and the other Todmorden and West Yorkshire residents like Vicky Dinsdale saw something supernatural. Some sources on this story even note that there were people who corroborated elements of Alan's encounter in November of 1980, including other police officers and even a bus driver. But it's harder to find out more about these claims. As far as I can see, nothing in Alan's life was made better by speaking out about his experience. It only seems to have had more negative consequences for him, so I can only imagine that he must have been completely sure about what he saw. I genuinely really feel for him and, of course, for Zygmunt Adamski's loved ones, who have spent over 40 years with no real answers about what truly caused his death, which is incredibly sad. One of the great things about the UFO community, though, is the fact that if there are answers to be found, you just know that they'll be on the lookout for them. Watch this space. Oh my gosh, what a topic to dive into. I'm so grateful to Jo for letting me know about this story, or should I say, two stories please, please do let me know what you think about these cases. If you're listening on Spotify, the little Q&A function is an amazing way to do that, because your comments will then appear on our episode page, and there are always brilliant points raised by you all in those responses. They really do make my day. I feel like my brain is buzzing after doing all of this research. I just feel like I need to know more, but I think it's going to be a matter of patience with this one. Anyway, we're going to have a little change of pace now, as it's time for Weird Media, the outro feature where I let you know about something I've been enjoying in my downtime. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energised. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y ycom These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I thought we were well overdue a podcast recommendation in weird media. So I want to give a shout out to one that I've been listening to a lot over the past couple of months. And that show is I Could Murder a Podcast. Now I know the combination of true crime and comedy can be a real tricky one. And a number of podcasts do it incredibly well. All killer no filler for example, Rachel and Kiri are just fantastic. But not every show gets it right. When I first started listening to I Could Murder a Podcast, I thought, well this could go either way. It might work, it might not, but in my opinion, it really does. What I love about the show is that when it comes to the stories themselves, they're very well researched and when the details get serious, the hosts kind of buckle down. And they do get through the tough parts of a case with care. But when we do get to the moments of humour, they are really very funny. I personally love a good and there are plenty to be found in the podcast. They honestly do crack me up. Tom, Ben and Dan are such a great trio and we always seem to find ourselves side by side on the Spotify true crime charts, which I'm very honoured about. The guys have been really kind and supportive to me in our little Instagram DMs and I think they are good eggs. If you're fascinated by hearing new takes on some of the most infamous true crime stories out there, I Could Murder a podcast is probably something you'd really enjoy as they don't shy away from covering huge well-known stories but I always seem to come away from their episodes with new information, either facts I didn't know before or a fresh perspective on the case at hand because of the way that they have presented it. If you decide to give their show a listen, I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Okay I'm going to rattle through my sore shout-outs as quickly as I can. There was a BBC Inside Out article from all the way back in February 2003, the brilliant Yorkshire Live piece by Andrew Robinson from January 2018, a Sky History article by BP Perry, no date on that one but it was fantastic. An article from the Manchester Evening News from January 2023 that was by Damon Wilkinson. A Lancashire Telegraph article by Jonathan Dillon from October 2014. And finally, a Yorkshire Post article that was published in April 2018. Just before I go, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be taking a couple of weeks off from posting new episodes of the podcast, but it's all for a good reason. I'm going to be putting that time into expanding what I'm doing with the podcast on social media. And I'll be sure to keep you updated on what I've been working on over on our social pages. And on that note, you can currently find us on Instagram and threads at Things Get Weird Podcast and on Facebook by searching for Things Are About To Get Weird. There may well be more platforms to tell you about soon, so do keep an eye out. Also, our email address is thingsgetweirdpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I'll be back again very soon. So, until next time, take care of yourself and others, and keep it weird but the good kind of weird.